Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. We strive to lead people to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church to help them build a relationship with God, our Creator. We are so glad you're tuning in today. We hope and pray that this leads you to Jesus and His path for your life. So, without further ado, here is today's teaching. I'm super excited to be able to share with you. Uh, I get to preach every once in a while, about every two months or six weeks or somewhere in there. But this series, the At The Movie series, I've been able to preach at the whole time I've been here. In fact, the very first sermon that I ever preached adventure was during an At The Movie series, and I found out the night before at about six o'clock. And so I'm a little bit more prepared this time than I was then, although that one was about Lego and uh, Romans 12 too, both of which I have tattooed on my arm. So I was good. I was like, I, I can do this all day long. But we're in the series at the movies, and this is the 90s edition, which is really exciting because, like I said before, I'm a 90s kid at heart. Like I, That's when I had my formative years, when I was in middle school and high school, when I was actually picking movies to watch that were not just cartoons. Although, like I still watch cartoons now. I think I spent like three hours last night watching Dragon Ball Super. So I'm not going to say that I don't watch cartoons, but there's something about real movies that just pull you in, the stories pull you in, the, the knowledge of what's going on pulls you in and just gets you excited about what's going on next. I love to read and I love to watch movies. Those are the things that I enjoy. And so I love when we do this series because what we're going to do, in case you're not familiar, is we're going to take a 90s movie, we're going to watch the whole thing on the big screen. Wait, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to take that 90s movie and we're going to use it as a springboard, as a, a launching pad to get into a lesson about God, a story about God, information about who he is, about what he wants to do for us in our life. For instance, uh, we've already had two weeks in this teaching series and uh, our pastor Chris did those. And the first week was Men in Black, uh, that Will Smith movie with Tommy Lee Jones fighting against the aliens, doing that whole thing. And my computer just went to sleep. Uh, and I don't know how to unlock it without the keyboard. Hold on. Uh, I'll keep talking. And so the Aliens movie, uh, and Chris talked about that as Christians, we are meant to be different than this world. We're meant to be aliens and strangers and to, uh, to live out our life in a way that people can, can see it and understand it and see that God exists because of what we're doing. Uh, and then the next week, last week, we talked about the Truman Show. And in the Truman Show, Chris talked about finding our identity in Christ and that it's not about what other people say we are. It's not even about who we say we are, but who we are is who God says we are. And what that is, is loved and protected and cherished and that we need to live that out loud in, in our lives uh, because that's really important because the world is watching. Uh, this week, we're going to get into a movie that uh, is one of my favorites, and it's going to be a surprise to those of you that know me that this is one of my favorite movies because it's a sports movie, and I'm not a sportser. Like, that's not my thing. I, I don't get excited about sports. Well, I don't get excited about American sports. I really enjoy Italian soccer. Like, that's, that's my wheelhouse. You know, you tell me about AC Milan or Juventus or Inter playing, and I'm like, yeah, I got this. I understand what's going on. You start talking about football, the American football, I'm like, yeah, I don't really care. And, and basketball, that's just as bad to me. Sorry, Brent. Um, like, it, it's just not my thing. I, I don't have time for that in, in my life. But of all the American sports, 
there's one that just drives me more crazy to try and sit down and watch and follow and see what's going on than any other one. That's not an American sport. That's a Scottish sport. I'm sorry, James, but it's baseball. It's baseball. Baseball just, it's like, I would rather get hit with a baseball bat than have to watch a baseball game. Like, it's just not my thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't hate baseball. I just hate watching baseball. Uh, I, I played when I was a little kid. I enjoyed that. Uh, I had, you know, hit the ball off the tee in the whole nine yards. You know, I played right field because that's the important position on the field. See, I know, it's, I know, I know baseball jokes. Uh, but baseball is just not my thing. And this movie that I picked to do today is one of my favorite movies, and it's all about baseball. Like the whole movie, top to bottom, is baseball. But I still love it. And I was talking to Stephanie, and I realized that there's actually a lot of baseball movies that I love. And it's, we decided it was because baseball movies work really well because the game is so slow and so boring that you can do all these other things, and it still makes sense. Um, but the movie we're going to talk about today is one of those 90s movies that will stand the test of time. Like It's one of those that the quotes from this movie have entered into our vernacular, into our regular speech patterns so much that we use it, and some people don't even know that's where it's from. You know, this is one of those movies that it taught you how to make s'mores. You know what I'm saying? This movie is so good and so fantastic. It's timeless. It will last forever forever. I'm telling you, it's going to hang in there. And it's a sports movie. It's a baseball movie. Am I killing you yet? All right. Check out, check out this video. I know you're smart and I'm proud of you. I want you to make some friends this summer. Meet Scotty Smalls. Kale, get it! The kid is a L7 Winnie. My lace is over. Man, this is baseball. You gotta stop thinking. Just have fun. Climb trees, hop fences, get into trouble. Just stand there and stick your glove out in the air. I'll take care of it. Now he's in. Yeah! All right! With the coolest guys in the neighborhood. They've got the look. Wendy Peppercorn. Wow. They've got the moves. They've got the rap. Blockhead. Geek. Jerk. Idiot. Moron. You bob for apples in the toilet. And you like it. You play ball like a girl. Something else has got their ball. That wasn't my ball! Dad's father gave it to him. Babe Ruth signed that ball. Babe Ruth! We gotta get that ball back. You got any bright ideas? Initiate retrieval section number one. Power connect. Come on, hold me, it's heavy. Now. Fire, fire! Twentieth Century Fox presents. Hey guys, it's the Sandlot Babies. You're the ones that making all that racket. Ah! A lifetime of adventure. Come on, Squidge, you can do it. Pull through, bud. Little pervert. 
The Sandlot, a little piece of paradise, a half a block wide, and a whole season long. Scotty, have you made any friends yet? Oh! Oh, I'm sorry, Mom! The Sandlot. That quintessential summer movie, that movie that's so full of innocence, carefreeness, fun, cheer, excitement. Or is it? You see, I, I, I watched this movie this week, uh, I, which I didn't realize when I was pulling the trailer. You know, I watched it last night and I was like, man, that tells you the whole movie in that trailer. Like, I don't, I don't know what they were doing. They didn't leave much out at all. But... I, I figured out something about this movie, The Sandlot. This is not just your everyday average coming of age, I'm a fifth grader having a good summer movie. This is a horror movie. Bum, bum, bum. You look surprised. You don't, you don't believe me. I'm telling you, this is a movie about being scared. This is a movie uh, about the, the craziest, most sinister thing. I mean, think about it. From the moment that Scotty Smalls sneaks onto the back of the sandlot coming through the bushes like this, which is really creepy by itself, you know that there's something sinister going down. You know that there's something that's gonna happen that's gonna be just outrageously scary because you hear the music go, and when music does that in a movie, you know it's gonna be bad. And then you hear the growl, and the fence shakes, and everybody does this thing. Like, this, these kids were scared of the beast. They were so afraid of the beast. And let me, let me let them explain who the beast is to you. Here you go, right here. Check this out. Are you trying to wake it up? It just went to bed. What just went to bed? Shh. The beast. Oh, yeah! Shh. Hey. Shh! Now, quiet. The legend of the beast goes back a long time. For any of us could even pick up a baseball. Back to a place called Myrtle's Acres. It all started about 20 years ago when thieves kept stealing junk from Myrtle's Acres junkyard. So Mr. Myrtle, the guy that used to own the place, got him a new pup from the dog pound. He fed him whole sides of beef and turned the pup loose from the junkyard. And the pup was grateful. to the beast and he grew big and he grew mean so that he could protect the junkyard with only one thing on his mind to kill everyone that broke in and he did and he liked it a lot the beast was the most perfect junkyard dog that ever lived a true killing machine but after a while the cops started getting phone calls from people reporting all the missing thieves the ones the beast had killed. It added up to about 120, 173 guys. It's true. They never found a single body, not one. 
Some people say they all got away. But we all know what really happened. The beast ate them. He ate them bone and all. The beast was too good at his guard dog job. So the police said he had to be retired. My grandpa Squigman Paladores was police chief back then. When you ordered Mr. Myrtle to turn his backyard into a fortress and chain up the beast and put him under the house where he could never get out to eat children and stuff. And that's where he's been for 20 years. And that's where he'll be for the rest of his life. Because when Mr. Myrtle asked the cops how long he had to keep the beast chained up like a slave, they said until forever, forever. And so the beast sits there under that lean too, dreaming the time when he can break the chain and get out. Dreaming the time when he can chase and kill again. Oh, excuse me, chills, right? Like that's scary stuff. And those boys were frightened out of their minds. They didn't even want to look over the fence and see the beast. They just knew that it was bad. You know, uh, it's funny, but we have those moments too, don't we? Those moments where we're like those boys in that treehouse on that hot summer night where we have fears that have held us back, fears that have stopped us from doing something from accomplishing things in our life that might be good or important or necessary. We have these amazing fears that come into our life and we just close up and shut down. You know, what are, what are some of the things we're afraid of? Uh, I mean, I, I personally, I'll admit, I'm very claustrophobic. Like I, I'm afraid of small spaces, you know, put me in a tunnel and I'm done. Uh, close the door on the closet or the walk-in cooler while I'm in there and it's just, it's not gonna be pretty. Like that's, that's, I can't even think about it. It messes me up. I, like I, it's so bad that I have, I have a hard time playing uh, Minecraft in the dark because I'm in the tunnel in the video game and I'm just like, I can't do it. I gotta have lights on and the door open, all kinds of stuff. Fears are weird. You know, maybe that's not what you're afraid of. Maybe you're afraid of animals. Now, I, don't, I don't mean all animals. I mean specific animals, obviously. Like who, who in here is afraid of snakes? Yeah, there, there's some hands. What about uh, rats? Yeah, some of us are afraid of rats. Uh, Bats? I, I don't like bats. That, that's something that if like, one came at me, I'd be done. Uh, what about spiders? I, yeah, there's, there's the hands. There's the hands. People are afraid of, of spiders. Some people are afraid of things that are painful, you know, like needles. People are very afraid of needles or uh, pulling a Band-Aid off. You know, that, that's, that's something to be afraid of. Some people are afraid of very metaphysical things, you know, like uh, the idea of failure or of death or being late for supper, you know, stuff like that. Like those are, those are really important things. Some people, some very intelligent people are afraid of evil things like clowns. You know, that's, that's, that's what people are afraid of. And they're, they're, there's good. Like fears are all over the place and they're all over the board and people are afraid of all kinds of different things, but I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I'm not saying that fear in and of itself is bad. I'm not saying that all fears are inherently bad because there is such a thing as good fear. Fear can keep us safe. Fear can be a healthy thing. You know, it's fear that keeps us from running headlong into traffic. It's fear that keeps us from jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. It's 
fear that makes us put on our seatbelt when we get in the car. Some of us because we're afraid that somebody's gonna get in an accident and we wanna be safe. Some of us because we're afraid that we're gonna get pulled and get a ticket. Still fear. Fear can be a good thing, but even healthy fear can be a crippling fear. Even healthy fear can take away from our life, can, can lock us in, can stop us from doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, doing the things that we, we want to be doing, the things that we need to be doing. And regardless of the reason for the fear, it can put a damper on our whole life. It can change who we are. So what are we going to do about that? Well, at Venture Church, we like to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And we're going to do that this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can pull it out. We'll be getting ready in just a second. If you don't have a good readable version of the Bible, we'll let you know that there's some on the table that's just right outside the doors here. Those are free. You can take that home with you. You can read it back and forward. You, can, you don't have to bring it back after you do that. You can just have it because we want to make sure that you have a good readable version of the Bible. Uh, if you're you know, postmodern and don't use paper goods because you're trying to save the trees, you can download the app on your phone. Uh, there's a good Bible app called YouVersion and it's super useful. It'll even send you daily verses that you can read and uh, be excited about. Um, if you don't wanna do any of that and you just wanna be lazy today, it's gonna be up on the giant screen behind me, all the scripture that we use. Uh, and that's okay too. But before we, we get to the scripture, I, I wanna set you up. We're gonna be in John chapter 20, if you wanna, wanna turn there. But I wanna give you a little idea of where we are there. In, in John chapter 20, where we are is just a couple of days after Jesus was crucified, after he was hung on the cross, after he died. We're just a couple of days later in John chapter 20. Um, and in this passage, we're going to find the disciples, the, the men that had followed Jesus around for the duration of his ministry, the ones that had spent their time with him, their lives with him, the men who, because of Jesus's death on Friday, had lost hope that all the promises that Jesus had made to them would ever come true. Because Jesus had just spent the last three years saying, these good things are gonna happen. Follow me because the kingdom of heaven is here. Follow me because good things are coming. And now Jesus was gone. And so these guys that had invested their whole being into him, that had left their, their family, had left their jobs, had left their homes, had left their friends, now found themselves trying to figure out what to do next. And if we look at the first part of John chapter 20, verse 19, we'll see how they react. So let's look at that now. Uh, on the evening of that first day of the week, so that's, that's the, that first day of the week, that's the first Easter Sunday. On that evening, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. For fear of the Jewish leaders, the disciples had locked themselves away in fear. They were afraid. That was how they reacted. They had just spent three years or so spending time with Jesus, who was God incarnate on the planet, on the earth, doing all kinds of crazy things. And now that he's gone, they've locked themselves away in fear. 
of the Jewish leaders. Man. But you know what? I feel like they probably had some good reasons to be afraid. First of all, the Jewish leaders were the ones that had just taken Jesus and crucified him. The ones that turned him over to the Rome and said, here, we need this guy to be killed. We need this guy to be taken out of the picture. And so there's a little bit to be afraid of there. But I think if you look at human nature, the disciples may have also been afraid of what people would say when they found out that these were the guys that had been with Jesus. When, when their friends and family that they went back to are like, what, what happened? I thought you were following this guy around. I thought he was the Messiah. I thought he was the one that was gonna end Roman rule. I thought he was the one that was gonna bring the kingdom of God all together. You've been saying that for years now. What's going on? Why are you back here? How come you're fishing again? And they felt like they might look like a fool. Like they might be ashamed. Like they might get mocked and jeered at because of the time that they spent following Jesus. That's a legitimate fear. Maybe they were afraid of the information that Mary had brought to them earlier in the day. When she had gone down to the tomb and saw that the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty and that Jesus was gone, and then later saw Jesus himself walking around. Maybe that's what they were afraid of. Uh, Because when you think about that, when you take that on the surface, that's a thing to be afraid of. If your friend dies and you see them buried and then all of a sudden you hear about them walking around town, you're not gonna be like, oh, cool, I'm glad they're back. No, you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, he got up, what's going on? Ah!" And you might lock yourself in a room and hope that he can't get in. Like that's a thing to be afraid of and I don't understand how it's gotten to be so commonplace over this last 2,000 years that we hear about a man getting up from the dead and we're just like, yeah, cool, yeah, he did that. I mean, I think probably it's because some people don't believe it ever happened. And so those people, it's easy for them to go, it's not real. It's like every other ghost story. I'm not gonna worry about it. But for those of us that believe, it it might be more along the lines of we've been told it for so long that it's just kind of lost its power. But I want you to think about that as you go through your week this week, about the fact that a man who was God came to earth, he died, He chose not to be dead anymore and he got back up again in his body, in his physical body, fully alive and walked around because that is amazing and a little bit scary, but in the best way. And so here we have these these grown men locked in a room so afraid that they don't know what to do next that they, they're too afraid to, to move, too afraid to go out. Have you ever been there? So afraid of something that you didn't even know what the next step was supposed to be? So afraid of something that you didn't know how to contend with it, how to, how to deal with it? I mean, for me, all you gotta do is throw a blanket over my head and hold, hold my arms for a couple seconds and I'm done. Like, that's how bad my claustrophobia is. I'll, I'll just be completely unable to function. But for you, it might be something different. It might be something bigger. It might be something that's actually scary. But for whatever reason, that fear is there. It puts you in a place where you're like, I don't even, I, I you know, you white-girled it and you said, I can't even. And you're just stuck. 
I wonder when I think about it, what kind of relationships, friendships, uh, growth moments that we've missed because we've been too afraid to walk up to somebody and say hello. What, what kind of uh, promotions at work we've missed because we were too afraid of failure to put our name in the hat. What kind of amazing life changes we could have caused in other people because we were too afraid to open our hearts and our lives to someone in need. How has fear stifled us? How has fear stopped us because we've got ourselves locked in a room too afraid to move? What amazing things have we missed because we couldn't try something new because it was too scary? And when I think about that, I know that there's no way to actually know the answer to that but I wanna know what I can do from here on to change it. I don't want to miss those opportunities. I don't want you to miss those moments that you could change somebody's life, that you could change the direction of yours. And so I wanna go back and look at that verse again. And this time we'll look at the whole verse. We'll see what changed for the disciples, what changed for the rest of them. Let's look at the rest of that verse. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Jesus came and stood among them inside a locked room, guys. He just appeared. Now, the other night, I was, I was getting ready to go to bed. It was late. Uh, I heard something of the kids into the house. And so I walked down there to see what's going on. It was Kalel had gotten up to use the, the potty and... That's what we say in my house. It's okay. Uh, he got up to use the potty. He was coming out. And as I walked up, he's like, ah! and just about fell down because I scared him so bad. And that wasn't a locked room. That was the, the hallway. I was standing in the hallway. This was Jesus showed up in a locked room full of people who were there because they were afraid. I feel like there must have been some squeals that happened with these men there. John doesn't write it down because he doesn't want to embarrass anybody. But the first thing Jesus says is peace because they, were, they had to be going, uh, you know, that whole thing. It had to be going on. And he says, peace, and everything changed. Jesus showed up and said, peace be with you. And their whole mindset, their whole life, their whole idea changed. How do I know this? Well, if you follow the Bible. If you go in and you look, it's just a, a little while later, just a couple of weeks later after this moment, that these men who were so afraid of the Jewish leaders that they'd locked themselves in a room so that no one could find them were standing out on the street and preaching the name of Jesus and him resurrected to so many people that 3,000 of them chose to follow with him chose to be immersed into Christ and live their life for him. 3,000 people, that, that's not saying that's all the people that were there. I'm sure there were many, many more, and that's not even counting women and children. But they went and stood on the street and proclaimed it. And it wasn't long after that before they started getting arrested. They started getting drug out in the street and beaten. They started getting chased down. Before the end of the lives of the men that were in the room that night, Every one of them had been martyred, had been killed because of the name of Jesus. Jesus showed up and said, peace, and all their fear was gone. 
Well, all their fear was pushed down, was subsided, was diminished. Because I'm sure they were still afraid. And you're like, well, Patrick, that's cool and all, but what does that got to do with me? You know, I'm not, I'm not actually literally locked in a room somewhere and Jesus isn't gonna manifest himself physically in front of me. He could, don't get me wrong. I believe that if Jesus wanted to right now come bodily into this room, he could do it. But it's not gonna happen, I don't believe, because it's not his MO right now. He's not gonna do that. So what, what does that do for me? What does that mean for me? Well, I, I think it's because we've got a problem that we believe too often the same things that these disciples believed that night. That we're worried about what the government might do to us for speaking out and saying that we're followers of Jesus. That we're worried about what our coworkers and our friends and our family might say when they hear that we're following him. That we get up on Sunday morning on that day of the week that's supposed to be laid out for nothing according to the world. And we get up early and we go and we sit and we listen to some dude with a beard tell us about what we should be doing with our life. And they're like, that's weird. And they look at the moral choices that we make and they say, you just do that because you're weak-minded, because you, you, you're simple-minded, because you don't have enough intelligence to do something different, that you use your faith as a crutch to get through life. And the world is telling us that all the time. And sometimes we, we get a little afraid that they might be right. And the world tells us that to believe that a story about God becoming man, living for 30 some years on the earth, dying in a brutal fashion to shed his blood to cover my sins, to cover my mistakes, to cover my issues is just a great fantasy. And something that shouldn't ever be believed as true. The world tells us that and sometimes we go, man, it is a little bit out there, right? And we look at other religions and we say, they're so weird. What's going on over there? And then we have to look back at ours and go, ah, yeah. and that's okay. It's okay to have those fears. It's okay to have those doubts, but it's not okay to get stuck by them. It's not okay to get locked in by them. I want to give you some validation though. Every fear, every big fear, every small fear, every real fear, every imaginary fear that you experience is real to you in the moment that you're experiencing it. I don't want to discount that. I don't want to take that away because that is true. But here's what I do want you to know. The God who loves you, the God who created you, wants to help you chase away that fear. Wants to help you send away that fear and to help you learn what the disciples learned that night in that locked room as they were squealing like little girls for just a moment. I really just wanna get that picture locked in your minds because it makes me giggle every time. What the disciples learned that night was not just that Jesus brings hope, was not just that, that God is big and powerful and greater than even death, was not just that Jesus is love and love frightens away all fear, but what they learned that night was that they had something to fight for. They learned that there was a hope, that there was a reason to stand against the fear that had shut them down. 
in, in the movie, uh, the boys are playing baseball, and if they knocked a ball over the fence into the lair of the beast, it was done. They're just like, all right, that's it. We can't go get it because if we do, the beast is going to eat us because he's, you know, killed 120 to 173 people. And it's going to be bad. So we're just going to leave it. We'll go buy another ball tomorrow and we're done. Not even baseball, their favorite thing in the world, the thing that they, they live for. Even Benny the Jet Rodriguez, who lived and breathed baseball so much, would not risk it to go and get a ball so they could keep playing. That's how afraid they were of this monster of a dog on the other side of the fence. Until the day that Benny knocks the guts out of a ball. He hits it so hard that the seams rip and the ball just goes away. And little Scotty Small says, don't worry, I know where a ball is. And he runs back to his house. He goes in his stepdad's office. He grabs the ball off the trophy shelf and takes it back out to the yard, to the sand lot. And the very first pitch puts the ball over the fence and into the layer of the beast. And everybody's like, oh, well, that was fun while it lasted. We're all done. And he's Scotty Smalls. He's like, no, it's not my ball. We got to get it. And Ham says, you're killing me, Smalls. And it keeps going. But and then he explains to them what's happened. He tells them what they did. He explains that that ball was his stepdad's ball. He explains that that ball had been signed by some lady named Baby Ruth. And they're like, what? We got to get that ball back. That ball was signed by Babe Ruth, the Sultan of Swat, the King of Crash, the, the Colossus of Clout, whatever that means. The Great Bambino. We got to get that ball. And now they had a reason. And the bulk of the rest of the movie is them doing everything they can to get that ball back for Scotty before his stepdad gets back into town from a business trip. They just needed a reason. Now, I want to make sure you understand, they didn't lose their fear completely. They were still afraid of that dog. They were still afraid of the beast, and they didn't go at it recklessly. They didn't go at it uh, in a way that, they, that was completely without hazard. They tried some mechanical stuff. They tried some things. I don't want to give the whole movie away, but they did everything they could to attempt to get that ball, which is something they had never done before because they never had the reason to because the ball was only 12 cent. They could just go get another one. But now they had something priceless to search for. This is actually something that we see happen throughout the whole narrative of the scriptures. Throughout the whole of the Bible, we see men and women. My, my wife actually pointed out to me yesterday that it's just about every man and woman that we meet in the Bible goes through this, where they're surrounded by great fear and they find a reason to overcome it. But there's some stories that stick out, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are told, if you don't bow down and worship this 70-foot golden statue of the king, that you'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. And they said, hey, if that's what you gotta do, 
And they stood up to, their, to the king and said, either God will protect us or he won't, but either way, we're not worshiping that. They had a reason to overcome their fear and they did. Daniel had the same problem, except that it was gonna be thrown into a den of lions. Same thing happened. He said, no, throw me in. God will protect me or he won't, but I'm still not gonna pray to you, O king. I'm gonna pray to a God who loves me. He had a reason to overcome that fear. And time and time again, these things happen to these people. And I know you're thinking, but Patrick, they're Bible people. There's something special about them. You know, they had an extra gift of the Holy Spirit. They had some, no, these were just regular dudes. These were just men and women like you and I, but there was one guy in the Bible. There was one guy in the Bible that I think dealt with fear more often and more deadly than any other person in the Bible over and over and over again, and that was David. David felt fear in great lengths all throughout his life. I mean, when he was a little boy, he was sent out to be a shepherd. And as a shepherd, he had to protect his flocks from lions and tigers and bears. No, just lions and bears. He killed lions and bears with his slingshot. And it wasn't long before he was sent out and he had to face great fear of standing out in front of a giant named Goliath. And then he killed him because he overcame that fear and he went on and his life went on. He had to face fear after fear, enemies surrounding him, even his best friend's dad, his wife's dad, trying to kill him, chasing him all over the country, trying to find him, trying to stop him, trying to keep him from becoming the next king. And then when he was king, he had even more fears because he feared not just for himself, but for his country. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all the things he was doing, David had time to write down words like this from Psalm 56. It says, be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long, they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long and in their pride, many, many are attacking me. But when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God, I trust, and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Can you show me? Yeah. And in Psalm 27, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David overcame fear because he had a reason. Because he had someone in his corner that he knew beyond any shadow of a doubt would be there for him, would protect him, would love for him and cherish him. Guys, I don't know what fear is weighing you down right now. I don't know if you're afraid for your life or your family or your job. I don't know if you're afraid of the storm that's coming towards us right now. I don't know. I don't know if you're sitting here today and you're afraid of what it would mean to give your life to Jesus, of what it would mean to, to come back and be a part of something. Maybe you're afraid of, of sitting in a group of people and talking about spiritual things because you don't want anybody to recognize that you don't know as much as you should about who God is or as much as you want to know about who God is. 
And friends, what I'm gonna tell you is you gotta find a reason to overcome that fear. You gotta find a reason to, to step out in faith, to step out into the light and say, I am not gonna be mastered by my fear. I am not gonna lock myself in a room. And for some right now, that might mean, you know what? I'm gonna choose, even though I'm afraid. I'm afraid because the churches I've been to before have hurt me. Even though I'm afraid, I'm afraid of what the people might think about me that that find out that I'm doing this, that I'm afraid of what's going on and what might happen and how my life might change. I'm gonna come back next week and I'm gonna see what else is going on. I'm gonna come back next week and I'm gonna see what other 90s movies we can pull out. That'd be great. Come do it. Come, Come be a part of us. Maybe for you, it's bigger than that. Maybe, maybe your fear is going out and telling people about the God that loves you. Fear that they're gonna ask a question that will shake you, that you don't know the answer to, that you don't know how to, how to respond to them and you're afraid to shine his light that is poured into you. You gotta find the reason to get past that to get out in the world and, and be the storyteller for Jesus. It lets people know not what Jesus has done for somebody else, but what he's done for you. Because you're the only one that can tell that story. And that's a really cool reason to do that. I don't know what fears are overwhelming you. But I feel like we've all got something. And here's what I want you to know the God who created the universe, the most powerful being that will ever exist wants to have your back and wants to help you overcome whatever fears you face. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for wanting to come in and give us bravery. Give us the ability to stand up and stand out for you. The ability to choose you. I pray that you push down the fears to a manageable level for all of us so we can come out of our proverbial locked rooms and live out a life for you. Live out the life that you've chosen for us, that you've promised to us. Thank you for all that you are and all that you do. It's your name we pray, amen.